This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Name Never podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the No Name Never podcast. Um, I'm Mike Bailey, I'm replacing Jamie Smith tonight because he's off on the sick. Um, well, just being a bit lazy really, didn't want to do it tonight, I'm saying. That's 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 all I'm saying, I'm putting it out there. Um, tonight I'm joined by James, Rob and Dan from the Baggy um, from Baggy's Facts. He's um, going to give us some insight from the West Brom side about the game on Sunday. So we've got quite a good show tonight, we've got, we're going to cover the game. Um which bit of an emotional roller coaster, shall we say? Um, Going to follow that with a look at how we tackle set pieces, shall we say? A bit about Danny Ings. A look back at the Sean Dyche interview, which was cracking, by the way. Before looking forward to what's coming up in the next few weeks, so I guess it's best to start with the game. Um, a bit all over, James. What what were your thoughts on how the game went? Uh, well, obviously it was deeply disappointing. I think it was one where um, you know we see we go two up. We can see the late goal at the end of the first half, and you know we've we've got some slip from a position where I thought we were we were looking pretty comfortable. And you know, once Steve Marnie's gone off at half time, um, I think it completely changed the way that the game was played in the middle of the park. And you know, we just never looked like dealing with set pieces all day as well. And I think every time the baggies had a corner, you, you wondered if they were going to score again. You, you mentioned Steve um, Dean Marnie. I know it says Steve Marnie. <laughs> Dean Marnie. There, uh, it, it's almost a realization of what many Clarets feared. With the transfer window, where we said if anyone picks up a knock, we could be in serious trouble. Um, so it's a bit of a worry, really, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I did say that uh, on the day, but um, I think also when you look at it, it, it's hard to say if someone would be able to step in and, and you know do for us what what Steve Marnie does. Because <laughs> yeah, he's been such a key player for us, and you saw it last season. Um, you know, Burnley without D Marnie didn't really look like Burnley. It was. He's, he's having a cracker of a game as well. He's back to the good old Zinedine that we know and love. Um, so it's a shame to see him go off. Anyway, looking at the game, that f- that second goal for me from Burnley was absolutely quality. Uh, the first goal was class as well, but I just wanted to touch on the second goal. Rob, what do you think about that that run from Boyd down the right-hand side to put the ball in? Well, I think um, it just shows what, what Boyd's been like all season. Um, I think, you know, his, his pace... I think he's given us that, that something a bit different, that different outlet, and I think he works really well with Trippier. Um, so going down that, that right-hand side, um, I think we can be deadly. Um, and the cross was just 
um, inch perfect, I thought. Um, and as well, you know, Ings, Ings as as well as as well as getting his goal and setting up the first, I thought he he, um, he played excellently for most of the game, and I think that is uh, that's a, a good sign for us in the next few games, even though it's a bit of a daunting run. Yeah, his all-round play was a, a delight to watch from from Danny, um, especially with his hand in the first goal, knocking it back across for Barnes. Um, and that header as well. It reminded me a bit of, I don't know if you saw Harry Kane at the weekend, when he, he knocked a header in. Um, a lot of comparisons being made between them, both young English forwards. Uh, so it's good to see him showing different sides of his game, game being able to get to knock it in with his head as well. Uh, Dan, Dan, oh, yeah, as a way- right. I was going to say, right. as a West Brom fan, what are your opinions on the game? It was, um, once once you took the lead at 1-0, I thought, oh dear, we're not going to get a win here today. Um, and then when you got the second one, I thought, that, that's it, there's no way we're going to get back. Um, I don't know if you know, but we've only scored twice away before this game, once this season in the Premier League. Um, and we managed to lose that one as well, so... I wasn't very hopeful at all once you got the second goal that, that we'd get anything from the game. But of course, with Tony Pulis in charge now, I think we've always got a chance. Um, the, the goal before half-time was absolutely key. I don't think we'd have played the whole second half. I think you'd have settled probably a bit more defensively and just held out for the for the win if we'd have gone into the second half. With, if you'd have gone into the second half sorry, with the two-goal advantage. Um, so, so that goal was key from Chris Brunt, who was at fault for your second goal sticking his hand in the air, waiting for a ball to run out for a, of play for a throw-in. Absolutely suicidal, defending all... I mean, you know... He's, he, he was Up until yesterday, he was our captain, and sometimes you, you just wonder what's going on sometimes. I, I've really frustrating choice by him to, to just... He just lost his man. Um, so, yeah, that brings me on to, to Darren Fletcher, who I, I thought was... Um, Calming influence on the team, especially in the second half. Um, great range of passing, able to find a player all the time. Um, and yeah, we've we've just looked we've looked fairly deadly from set pieces this season. We've scored thirteen of our twenty-two goals from set pieces, um, and and there were a couple of cracking goals from us. But like I say, it's I, I couldn't see us getting anything from the game and, and the fact that we got a point, I'm, I'm happy with that. And we uh, almost went on and, and snatched a winner with Berahino late on. Dan was actually on uh, on our live blog, I think. I think it was Dan or someone from the... the it was it was me, yeah, it was me. And it, it was amazing, the transformation, and it just goes to show how, how radical like, the, the game changed. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and you were depressed at half-time and then and suddenly... When it turned around, you're I, all I, gloating, and I, I told you to go away. I, think. <laughs> I wasn't quite gloating. I, just, I, 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 I think just any getting, getting brownie lad because I think if you've seen um, if you've seen our he's, he's our ten million well reportedly ten million maybe eight nine million pound striker brown eye day. He, his confidence has just been shot this season for one reason or another. He just hasn't really. He's not. He's not done a lot. You've not been able to put your finger on it. But I think it, the trick was that we need to wind him up a bit more because yeah, he got so frustrated. He was really frustrated with the referee. I think the Burnley fans were getting on his back a bit, um, and it was a, a cracking header for the equaliser. And he, you know, he, he put in a, a really good all-round performance, good link-up player, the best we've seen him probably performing alongside Berahino. So 
that's promising for us, seeing as we didn't manage to get a striker in on the uh, on the deadline day. Uh, just going on to what sorry, just going on to what Dan says. I think I think he makes a really good point. If we if we don't concede that goal at um, half time, we're we're going to win that game. I think, and and that's that's actually quite depressing. I don't know whether any of you watched uh, much of the day two yesterday, but apparently we've never had a uh, a two nil lead in the Premier League. Um, and it's just a bit. I don't know. It seemed like it was coming. I don't know what it felt like to you, but we we just looked like we looked like we we weren't gonna, we were always going to concede from a corner or a set piece. We just didn't look strong. Well, we've looked that way all season, haven't we? I was going to say with that when the first West Brom goal, you said it was a good good goal. I think Brom more or less fell into it. <laughs> so no, sure. but being a Baggies fan and knowing Chris Brunt, he doesn't really score many headers, so for him it was a cracker. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was an absolute. It's the old uh, football manager classic, I think, where it says if they score just before half time, it's a crucial time to score because then it ruins your half time team talk and all that. But I think with a combination of that goal. When it coming in when it did because I'm not going to lie at first half we definitely edged it and I did think I, I don't even think you edged it to be honest I think you you dominated it I don't think there was an edge about it you you really played a lot better football you're getting the ball forward you didn't allow us the time to get forward ourselves you were right in our face of the front two and then your wingers were really chasing high up the pitch um, and your game plan was working superbly um, so so. It was it was a shame for you guys that you conceded just before half time, but like I, I think I said on 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 this podcast earlier on the season when 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 we played at the Hawthorns, I said that I wouldn't be too despondent. I mean, as a Baggies fan looking in at the, at the comments from Sean Dyche as well in I think it was the uh, the pre match press press conference, um, and he he was saying that he doesn't want burnley to fall into the trap of what a lot of other football clubs have done you need to work within your means um everybody just has, has to put all the effort in and it's the right way to go about it and it'd be a great success for you guys if you could stay in the premier league this season i, I think it'd be, it'd be more than a great success based on uh, the media media preview and the, the pundit that's gone towards it. I've, i think i've seen for the first time this weekend um uh, someone saying Robbie Savage of all people saying that he actually thinks we might stay up compared to, but I think that might be down to how poor Leicester and QPR are at the moment and it's down to one or two other clubs that may go down I think you guys are safe now looking at, at it I'd say with Pulis especially you're safe um, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't say we're safe just yet but just yeah, yet. <laughs> of, course, of course of course I think with, with Pulis We'll be hoping to to get a few home wins under our belt and, and push up the table slightly, but it's not a given at all. It's not a given. I've I've seen there's been better sides than us go down. Um, but I mean, from from a Burnley point of view, what's how, what's your opinion on um, on your manager? And, and I mean, there were some a few great sound bites from him during the week after the transfer deadline. Um, of course, you, you didn't get any players in. Like, is the consensus is that, that everyone's behind him and behind the club, or is there a few dissenters amongst the fan base? I think ninety nine percent of the fans are behind him. I've actually not seen a bad word said. Uh, majority of the people think he's, he's in full full control. The more any any ire that the fans have has been ma- mainly aimed at the CEO and members of the board. Uh, but in terms of overall managers, I think you can see the pressure getting to the likes of Pearson. And Redknapp's already gone, and then 
you look at Bruce, Bruce is a bit so-so. I think he's, he's probably safe at the minute, but he's, he's already come out and said that he's not afraid of getting sacked. Whereas Dash, there's no mention of that at all. I think Burnley, even if he went down, we'd keep hold of him because he is universally loved pretty much by the fans, which is a, a massive positive for us anyway, if we want if we do want to stay up this season. Um, anyway. Um, that's not to, to say there hasn't been criticism. <laughs> uh, especially following... Um, Sunday's game, there was a lot of criticism of his substitutions and and how, and his team selection almost because he, he keeps playing the same team and lots of fans were calling. I think um, it's a, the tenth game, isn't it? Yeah, tenth consecutive league game. Um, and and he, and it is frustrating because I think he, he has the lowest percentage of all, using all of his um, subs of all the the managers in the in the Premier League. Uh, and when we're losing a game and, and it gets to the 80, 89th minute and then he finally makes a sub, it can be a bit frustrating. But I think most Burnley fans take take everything into consideration um, and and um, that, he's, that he's got us up in the first place, which was a massive, massive feat. Um, and, and that he knows what he's doing and he's got a plan. And th- I think that's the main thing, that he's got a, a kind of blueprint, a blueprint that he's, he's working towards. Um, and... And I think, as Michael said, there is is ninety nine percent of fans that are behind him. That's what really frustrated me on Sunday. Um, I thought we had actually a really good performance because I didn't think really think apart from at set pieces that West Brom were in it. But um, we only brought Kitely on, and that was only because Marnie was injured. But where was Vox? I thought Barnes went a bit quiet later on in the game. So give Vox a go. Give Vox twenty minutes, ten minutes, even. Vox for me definitely needs to start looking to come back in. But then, then again, Barnes he started very well in the game, so it's probably one of them where I wonder if he's fully match fit yet. If 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 Sean's willing to risk him, James, do you have do you have an opinion? Would you like to see Vox come back into the squad yet? Uh, I'm not sure. It's hard to say. Really, you know, I don't think you can uh, you can drop Ashley Barnes on on the back of how he's been playing recently, you know, the goals he scored. Um, but I was definitely surprised to not see, um, you know, a, a substitute up front at some point in the second half. And I'll tell you, I, I just want to touch on another player as well that's had quite a lot of negative uh, neg- negative feedback, shall I say, about his performance recently, and that's Scott, Scotty Arfield. And I know pre-match, Kev, who's part of the team at Nornay Never, he was having a bit of a, a joke around about how Kiley was a missing man. Arfield's still getting into the team yet. He had, he had one of his better games of the weekend, I'd say. Uh, unlucky not to have scored from from the shot when he hit the bar. It was a great save from Foster as well. Would you, would, would you like to have see, seen that change made, perhaps? Um, I thought I thought Carty was really good, actually, sort of last um, last 10 minutes. And I actually thought he was quite hard done by early in the season when uh, I think he was quite instrumental at Stoke in the win there. And he, he could probably felt uh, a bit, I think a bit hard done by when he, he was then out of the side the week after. And you know, on the evidence of his last ten minutes on Sunday, it'd be interesting to see him start maybe instead of Arfield. And I thought Arfield was okay on Sunday, but um, apart from the you know the chance that that Foster made a great save from, he didn't really have a you know a lot else going in the game. Whereas you know, Cartley looked quite dangerous later on. He, he probably could have won two penalties. Um, I know we haven't mentioned it yet, but there was one where certainly the the defender sticks his arm out and it's in the box, and you'd think that should probably be given. And then there's the, the late one where he, he rifles it back in. And again, it looks like it's an arm that comes up to block it. So, um, you know, I thought it was impressive late on. 
Yes, I'd say one of the things with with Kiteley when it comes to his crossing half the time, one of the frustrations for me is that he fails to beat his first man on a lot of the occasions, but they were definitely a penalty shout when the arms come out, and I'd say it's it was a nailed on penalty for me. I don't know about Dan. Dan, what was your opinion on that when when I think it was it. Was it, it Macaulay? Was, was it? It was Macaulay, yeah. And Macaulay, yeah. If I were, I'm not, I'm not going to say that it was, a, it was a penalty. But if I was a Burnley fan, I'd, I'd definitely be shouting for a penalty, yeah, um, because he's he's moved his arm towards the ball and then moved it back. But the initial arm movement was towards the ball. I think it was just one of those, don't even think about it, natural movements, wasn't it? And and yeah, it, it, you you could, there'd be no complaints if that was a if that was a penalty. Um, but I mean, in terms of the game, it, it could have gone either way at the end. And, and you mentioned the save from um, Foster, but the, the save from Heaton at the end off Berahino was equally as impressive. Um, and I think the game as, as a whole was just a really good spectacle and, and tes- a testament maybe towards the, uh, the the teams down the lower end of the, of the uh, Premier League. Yeah, I think it was one end where they were both showing the will to fight for survival um, because we would have gone above you with a win, obviously, but... We didn't get it in the end. So um, anyway, we're going to move on from, from the match. We're going to move on to talk about how awful we are at defending set pieces. So with that, I'll say thank you to Dan from Baggy's Facts for coming on today. Um, cheers for your input and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, n- not a trouble, not a trouble. Thanks for that for having me on. No problem, mate. So then, defending set pieces. It's fair to say we've not been the best at it this season. Um, it's a bit of a, an Achilles heel for, for the Clarets. And we showed it once again at the weekend, conceding two sloppy goals from corners. What's it come down to at the end? Is it is it marking? Is it zonal? Is it the fact that Dyche doesn't work on it enough in training? What's so, it? Adam, James, Rob, what are you thinking? Uh, I'm at a loss. <laughs> it's a difficult one to um, because you can't imagine that Sean Dyche wouldn't work on on things like this, um, and and he must see that he must see that it's a frailty. Um, but then at the same, it's it's a mystery almost um, because I think from open play I think we defend really well I think Keenan Shackle look solid uh, uh, Trips looks good I thought me had a, had a really good game the other day um, so I'm I'm honestly at a loss it's, it's like when that ball's put on the on the spot they just seem to uh, to, to lose it a bit. Oh, really? Because you, one of the attributes you'd give to a, a Sean Dyche team is that they'd be able to defend properly and and be well organised and what what have you. Um, but it makes it makes me wonder if it's a, it's a mental thing now that it's happened a few times that players get it into their mind that they might concede and then perhaps lose concentration and and um, and that that again is a is a strange kind of prospect because. Another attribute of Sean Dice teams is that they're mentally strong and, and able and, and don't ever lose concentration. So, so that's perhaps my thinking on on why it happens. But I don't. I don't like, it makes me wonder if there's anything we can do. Obviously, I think Trippier said in his in his post match um, comments that they need to the team needs to learn their lesson, and it's a it's a struggle to to discover how that will actually happen. How will how will, can you change something like that? Um, when it happens so regularly and it is obviously starting to become an integral part of what a Burnley side is this season. And you say regularly there, that's 14 goals from headers conceded this season. It's got to be a major worry, especially when you've got the likes of Jason, Jason Shackle at centre-back who can surely dominate for a, for a header in the centre of the box. So it's got to be a worry there. Is it 
is it is it a mental thing, or or is it just the fact that we're not setting up right off the corner? Um, well, they made a point on Match of the Day too last night about uh, are, are we canny enough? Um, I mean, comes the uh, I think um, West Brom's second goal was uh, certainly a foul, but um, they made a point that those fouls, the goals are generally given anyway. Um, so should, are we being a bit too honest? Should we be a bit more... Um, I don't know. Should we be a bit more aggressive in the box? Should we be... I don't know. I think I think possibly we maybe just might be being out-muscled a little bit. Maybe not, not fighting for it as much as, say, what you'd see Shaw across at Stoke doing when he met my bear hugger man. And take him out, take him out, and make him unable to get to the ball. Exactly. It's just it, it, worry, it worries me that that we could get muscled off the ball. And and it's like Adam said, you, you wouldn't think they would um, because they, they sort of you'd think a dash team would be mentally strong, particularly with dash. You'd expect dash to nut someone if, if they tried to muscle him off the ball. <laughs> but I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is something like that. Maybe they are a bit too honest. I mean, you know, we we we're always low on. Burnley teams always seem to be um, high in the fair play league. We don't give away many fouls. We don't get many players sent off. Um, maybe that's part of it. I don't know. I think on the second one, was it Jones got pushed out of the way for it? So then Brown had a day. He's just stood there on his own, happily nodding it in. I think the fact that there's no one there, all someone has to step up and take responsibility for that. Is that a case of Tom Heaton not commanding his box enough? Possibly. I mean, he looked a bit in, in, in sort of no man's land for the second goal, I thought, but... Um, yeah, I mean, but the, but then sort of the, the rest of the defenders after maybe maybe it's more down to Shackle being captain, saying geeing up the, the the players that are coming into the box and defending and and saying you know don't let them push you about basically don't let don't let these don't let the the the, the playground bully push you around. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's one of them where hopefully Sean. Sean, for me, I hope he goes back and looks at it and he, he says, all right, boys, this is what we need to work on this week. We're going to do some defensive training, some set-piece training, and definitely work that out of our game because it's something where if we keep conceding off corners, we could be in a really, well, a, a difficult situation come to the end um, come the end of the season. Right, so let's move on. Let's put a, draw, draw a line under that. It's a bit of a rubbish subject because it's talking about how crap we are at, at the back and defending corners. So let's talk about... Danny Ings, we've talked about him a lot recently on the podcast, but I want to talk about again, he scored another goal, he's got an assist, and there's rumours of potential England call in there. James, what do you make of Danny Ings' performance on Sunday? I thought I thought he was very good again. You know, he's, he's been very good, I think, um, <clears throat> pretty much since he came back from injury. Um, you know, it would be interesting to see if we can get an England sub. I think, I think there's a lot of competition at the moment, you know, um, and it, it's going to be really interesting actually to see what happens with England, because you, you've got to remember, obviously, Jay Rodriguez has still got to come back at, at Southampton. Um, and he was already in the picture before. And I guess he's probably a similar player in style to, to Danny Ings. Um, and then, obviously, you, you know, you've got other English strikers that seem to be you know getting goals this year. And I guess you could probably even ask a question about Charlie Austin. Well, yeah, I think it's Danny Ings is the fourth highest English, English scorer in the league currently. Charlie Austin, the top one, is out for a couple of weeks with a, a bit of a knock. So it'll be interesting to see if he's in contention for that game. You mentioned Jay Rodriguez. I think I saw Ronald Coleman say that it, it doesn't feel... but it, it won't rush him back, so he's, he's not even sure he's going to be back by the end of this season. So I'll say for now, Jay's out of the picture. Perhaps when he's back and got a couple of months under his belt, he might be back in there. Um, Adam, 
Ross, what do you think of Danny Ings' current form? I think it's great, really. You know, we, there were lots of question marks about whether he could he could step up at the beginning of the season, and, and he's starting to prove that he's really really adapting well, and that's quite good. On, on the England thing, it's it's actually quite strange because we seem to have always had a, a kind of dearth of of really good strikers, and we've got a, a number of young strikers now. We got we got Berahino, who's eligible for. Um, for England, you've got Harry Kane at Tottenham, Jay Rodriguez, Charlie Austin, and Danny Ings. It's, and it, it makes me think that it's kind of impossible for Danny Ings to actually get a senior senior uh, England lineup uh, call up. Um, I mean, I don't. I actually don't know whether it would be a bit too much for him at the moment um, because obviously he's only just started to adapt to the Premier League, so stepping up another level almost immediately. While I think he he would cope with it with, with it kind of mentally, but. He might, he might um, almost uh, find it hard to come back if he had a bad game. I think, um, I think that kind of happened with with Jay when he got his. It was kind of an unexpected call up um, when he when he first came up, um, got called up to the the senior um, England side, and then he had a quite a bad uh, game and he got quite a lot of stick and and um, obviously that's not actually had much of an impact over time because he's still considered an England a uh, future England striker. Um, even though he's out injured, um, but I think that that might be a worry if if Danny Ings was to get a, a call up. You mentioned there that um, you worry about because of the competition for places he might not be able to get in there. I'd say he offers something a little bit different from the current crop of top England strikers at the minute. He's actually got the most assists out out of the bunch of them, so he does offer that something different in his game. That he's ready, willing to involve a second striker, which is probably something England have missed a little bit up top. You can imagine that type of partnership forming with the likes of Daniel Sturridge, were feeding off each other almost. I don't know how how um, Danny kind of likes his his partnerships. He's he's starting to form a really good one with with Barnes at the moment, um, and obviously we all know about the the Vings partnership. I saw, saw quite a lot of talk about the Bings partnership on, on the weekend, but I don't think it's, it quite has the same effect. Um, but yeah, maybe he does offer something different. Um, I mean, it's all guesswork, really, because uh, I don't even know where where this like this talk has has even come from. Is is Roy even um, seriously considering it, or, or or what? I think it was Sean, wasn't it? Sean Dash himself said he should be in the pitch. She should be in the picture for a call up, and then maybe even I saw something in the Star, maybe Lincoln saying that, <laughs> that reputable. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, that very reputable newspaper, the Star. I think um, I noticed that saying that. Ings Hodgson was running the rule over him as they do. Or, oh, yeah. Always run the rule. <laughs> yeah. Why do managers always run the rule in, in tabloids? <laughs> I don't think I would run the rule over anything. I don't even know if that's a real. Um... <laughs> Is that a, a thing that managers do? God knows. Can you imagine a fan doing it in a match? We're not running the rule over this chicken pie. <laughs> if it's not good enough, then I will not buy it. Just the tabloid thing, isn't it? It's like, uh, it's like when they talk about wages, they always get a cool 30 million or something yeah. like that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, the reason I mentioned the England call up, anyway, is because of the talk about the potential for Burnley to gain a record tribunal fee for my strings. Um, Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about Liverpool and there are even thoughts of the mysterious U8 rule being implemented, which would mean that Liverpool could, in essence, purchase Danny Ings off us now for whatever an agreeable fee. But would join them in the summer and that would be um, subject to Premier League board rulings. But instead, it's come out that we're going to look for a fee that was higher than the £6.5 million that 
Chelsea paid for Man City for Daniel Sturridge back in the day. Um, that is the current record. But do you reckon we're being sensible in trying to hold out for that much? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It was in the Times on on Sunday. It was on, um, there was also an interview with um, George Boyd in the Times on Sunday. It was a very very good day for Burnley coverage in, in the Sunday Times. Um, but I, I think I think the, the kind of the the board and the the manager have got a point in if this story is true is in that they're looking looking at this record fee. I think it's um it's quite quite evident that in the last few seasons um the 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 transfer fees have gone up for strikers at least with with Ross McCormack. Uh, I know I know that that kind of that that line gets trotted out every every kind of week. Um but I, I don't think you can deny that Ross McCormack had did have an in, in impact in um in inflating fees for strikers. And then you've you've also got the idea the the, the age of Danny Ings. So uh, you've also got um the fact that He's an England under twenty ones, um, almost regular at this point. Um, he's um, also um, had a number of clubs reportedly interested in in him, and these are all the things that um, the committee. I can't remember the exact name of the committee, but they they all these are all factors that they're, they're meant to kind of tie into to their valuation of the player. So I think there is quite quite a good um, chance that that this would would happen, um, and, and I think it's good news because. I think a lot of fans were worried that he'd go for very little, and and I think he he still does if he goes abroad because he's then subject to FIFA's um, way of doing things, which is um is different, and it's like it takes into account the number of years that he's played for the club and how how old he is. Um, so I think it's is it three hundred and something thousand pounds, two hundred and six, two hundred and six, even even less. But I think if he went to an English club, it it, it would be good, and I think um. Burnley fans would be perhaps surprised at how much he, he, he'd he go for. I, I know Jamie, who isn't, obviously isn't on tonight, he, he doesn't reckon that um, we will beat the, the record fee um, because he said, I think he said that Daniel Sturridge was a, a bigger name and I don't I like, but I don't think that was, that that's what they, they um, take into account. Um, so, so yeah, I do think it's a, a good thing. Um, at, at least we're striving for a, for a, bigger fee than there's ever been which is at least a sign of a bit of um, gusto and a bit of balls Yeah I think it's a massive positive for the club to be looking to try and reach the high, higher echelons of the fee you've got to remember as well with something like this it's very likely that I think it's the PWCC perhaps something along the lines I think they'd um, they'd throw in a couple of clauses we'd probably get a couple of three or four million up front then what I'd take it all for that record would probably be one half million if he makes an England appearance, another million if he makes 20 appearance, appearances for the club. Things like that will probably what I'd make make the money up for it. Is it, um, is it, I mean, do you think it's a foregone conclusion that, that he is going? Is that, um, is he going to stay if we stay up or is it just, is it, um, or is he still going to go to like a mid-table or a, or a, or a top four club or, I don't. It, it, it seems a lot of the talk on on Twitter and and, and the tabloids and that it, it does seem to make it a foregone conclusion. And I know it's because he's not signed a contract, but I don't know. Maybe he's waiting until the end of the season. I think it's a it's, it's a bit of a difficult one, isn't it? Because he's constantly said that he wants to stay at the club at least until the end of the season. He's not come out and definitely said for certain that he's off, 
well, I can imagine that his head's already been turned by one or two clubs and the potential to get play play alongside higher quality players that's going to improve his his chances of an England call up. I think I think it's quite it's assumed that he he'll he'll go somewhere if a if a big enough club because I think if a big enough club comes in because he's he's at, if you listen to some of his his interviews he he's actually really ambitious personally as well as as for the club. Um and he, he d- does really want to reach those levels and I, although there's there's some kind of argument to say that if he stays at the club he can develop further and he might he might the, the game time that would be afforded to him might actually um, further him as a player. Um, but I think that if you've got any sort of um, ambition to, to play at the highest level and play in the Champions League or whatever, that you'll, you'll probably just jump at the first chance, especially when it, it, it's, uh, it would be such a, a, a pay rise as well. Um, because money is always a factor, and I think footballers get criticised a lot for taking money into account. But I think anyone would would take a, a, a huge pay rise to to take a better job, um, and and play with better players and um, in in the bigger competitions. Um, so, I, I, although maybe it will, will happen by some some strange um, circumstance that he'll he'll stay, but I, I can't really see it happening. I don't think I did not. I, I, I'm quite happy to see him go as well. I, couldn't, I wouldn't like to deny him the opportunity at this stage because I think he's helped us get promoted. And then if he keeps it up this season, then I'm absolutely I'm happy days for him to go at that stage, especially if we're getting good money for him. So that's that's Danny Ings pretty co- pretty much covered. So moving on, I'd say Sean Dyche also the weekend. Well, weekend midweek. I can't remember the exact day. The club finally put out a bit of a statement. Well, it wasn't a statement. It was an interview with Sean Dyche that covered the transfer window, Malay, and the went through the nitty-gritty of it, essentially. And it was a different way the club approaching their media communications. Normally, it would just be a statement because they did put out a really rubbish statement after the transfer window closed about a day or two later that said, oh, X, Y, and Z had happened, and denying this awkward... Well, not denying it, just saying that talking about the really awkward email I got sent about how it was no business. But then this interview with Sean Dyche emerged. It was a really impressive display, I felt, from from the manager. And it was really honest and open. And I think that we come to expect that. James, did you get a chance to have a, have a watch of the interview? I did, yeah. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> while it is good, he says all the right things. Um, I don't think he really says anything unexpected and... Um, you know, it's, I think it was just a case of they had to do that kind of video to to have done something on it. Um, you know, maybe the only thing that, it, you know, perhaps he shouldn't have said is I'm sure Adam's going to talk about it and is, um, you know, touching on the Twitter thing, which I think was you know, probably a little bit unnecessary, if anything. Yeah, I thought it was a bit weird how he picked up on social media and he said that the only type of people that go on social media tend to be these negative types which is a bit, bit of a massive generalisation from him Adam I'm sure you've got one or two things to say on this after I, I saw you get into a bit of an argument on Twitter about this well it, it wasn't actually me actually I was it was Friday night and I saw this video go up and so I tweeted something on on the known and ever account and then I went out and didn't think any more of it and came back a few hours later and there, there had been uproar that I'd, I'd noticed that Daesh kind of it was, it was kind of out of place for the interview because it was so like unifying and and so like 
almost like it was it was a proper like call to arms almost um and and like plonked in the middle of it was this kind of dig at anyone that uses social media and i mean social media is something that is totally like it, it can be totally negative if if you go on the right day but it, it can also be a good thing and and it, it's it did just strike me as weird that Daish, who's such a, a like a logical, like almost pragmatist, and he, he looks at the facts, and um, and he just uh, and there there is another side to, to social media other than the the um, the griping and and the the, the negativity. Um, but other than that, I have to say the interview was very very impressive, and I and that kind of got, got overlooked in this massive uproar over. the from from a couple of people over this tweet that I sent out, um, and I, I said so in in a um, in a piece for the site the next day, um, that, that um, it was one of the most impressive managerial interviews. It was like a monologue. It was so like it was almost like Dice had laid out his his philosophy in one one kind of like twelve minute video, um, and and it was very nice to see. And although the the club are very transparent generally um they're quite good at communicating things um that sort of it was it was really raw that sort of raw kind of un unfettered um passion um doesn't often come through whether it it, it, it's not a criticism of the club but it's, it's very rare that it actually shines through unless this sort of um long video that was unedited almost um uh was if, unless that kind of happens um and it was very nice to see as i say yeah i think it was it was one end where the club almost embraced that transparency and the need to inform the fans of what had actually gone on behind the scenes because at the end of the day i've never conducted a transfer deal i don't know what happens i don't know whether a club's come in and accepted it and then gone actually no go away so it's good to see him actually speaking about it and it's i'd say my one criticism about the club you you say that they're really good at transparent being transparent i'd say the opposite, I'd say that they're quite closed off at times and that they probably need to be better at, better at communication, especially in the corporate arena. Um, you only have to look back to retain a gate for that, which none of us want to get back into. Uh, I, I mean it in a, in a more, more, they try to be transparent most yeah, of the time. Okay. Like it's not, it, it, it sometimes fails and I think they probably accept that it fails at, at times, um, but they, they do try at least. Yeah, yeah, and I think that type of interview is exactly the type of thing they want they should do more of if they yeah, if yeah, they do want to foster that type of community spirit they do talk about quite a lot. Even like a similar one from from Lee Hoos would would do do miles of good because um, I think Lee Hoos often feels a bit detached and very almost um, synthetic as a as a CEO. He's very kind of well polished when he when he ever whenever he speaks and his quotes are always seem to be prepared. And I think one one of uh, a kind of long um, interview with, with um who's from uh, like directly outputted from the club um would, would actually do a lot of good um just from someone who, who who's lives in leicester um i've spoken to a few people down here about lee Hughes because he, he joined us from i don't know if he's joined us directly from leicester or whether he's just been at leicester before yeah he got he resigned and then a couple of yeah. weeks later he, he joined us yeah, he's not not a popular man down here by any stretch of the imagination. Not not many of the Leicester fans like him very much. And I'll be honest, I didn't. Um, I'd heard a bit about Retainer Gate, but I didn't know a lot about Lee Hughes. Uh, I heard the story on the podcast last week about him. Is that right about him being in a in a yeah? Plane? He was on the plane when when it went <laughs> out. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's ridiculous. Um, 
yeah, he's not a popular man uh, down here. So, I mean, if that's anything to go by, that's a little bit worrying. But um, with regards to the interview, I thought, I thought, like you say, I, I'd agree completely that, that Sean was amazing. It's like you could see, you could see the the guy that went and did his his PowerPoint presentation to get the to get the the job. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I just thought. I thought it was brilliant, and, and even I'd, I'd even sort of tend to agree with him on the on the points of social media. I think it's very easy to when you're on social media and when when you do Twitter and you do Facebook and, and you're used to it, it's very easy to to, to defend it and, and run to its defence. But I think if, if if you're not on social media, it's very easy just to see the, the negative side, um, and, and 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 it is it can it can be quite negative. Um, and, and he probably was generalising a little bit, but I agreed with the point that he made that, like, if you, if you get, if if something's good, you don't. If you, if, you, if the the uh, analogy he used was uh, going to a restaurant, and that if it's good, you might leave a little tip, but that's about it. Whereas if it's bad, you'll get straight on TripAdvisor or whatever it is and write a, a dodgy review. So. I mean, I do, I do see where he's coming from, but the interview, the interview itself was uh, amazing. I think the board used the best tool at their their disposal, which is Sean uh, Dash. I think you've got that pretty much spot on there. Uh, the only thing I'd say is they're a bit bit slow in getting it out. If anything, if they'd got that out a day, a day and a half after the transfer window closed, it'd have been miles better, and they'd avoided a lot of negative feedback. I'd say. I would tend to agree there, definitely. I think um, I think with Sean Dash because he's so media savvy, and um, I've interviewed him, and, he, and he's he's mesmerising to watch when he's talking to the media. And he's like he knows exactly what to say. Um, I think if you're the Burnley board, I'm not really bothered about seeing the board. To be honest, I'd be quite happy to for them to use Sean Dash as a mouthpiece as long as he stays refreshingly honest, um, like he was like he was in his interview. Um, what I want the board to be doing is to to keep working behind the scenes and keep trying to um, sign players. Hopefully, <laughs> uh, maybe not. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think he is he is sort of mesmerising. I think we're lucky to have him. Um, I mean, when you look at Nigel Pearson and the way his his press conference has gone this evening, <laughs> um, you, you, you can only think. He, he is he's genuinely sometimes you, you can just sit and just be watching him talk and he really does talk with, with a passion um, about not just for Burnley Football Club but about his, his ethos for Burnley Football Club which is um, which really impresses me actually it, it takes quite it, it takes quite a brain to so almost if you think back to when he first came in October 2012 or 13 um Thirteen, <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, um, you think back to where the club was then, and we didn't really have that. That was my main criticism of Eddie Howe when he was our manager: is that we didn't really have any real direction. I mean, there was this focus on youth, and and we knew that was that was something to do with it. But there was no kind of galvanizing spirit. There was no like. I mean, it's easy to speak now after the fact, um, now that we've had this this kind of Sean Dyke re- revolution almost. Um, but you think about the, the kind of brain it takes to think that this kind of vision up that all these players are going to work together as a unit, that all all the players will, will have come from almost lower leagues, that the, the fans will have a big part in it. And, and it like it takes a lot of coordination. I mean, it's it's very easy to 
think that up but once the the actual coordination and execution of it is actually very very difficult to do and i think that almost showed showed through um in in the interview um and and it kind of the the main reason it was successful i think was because it it reminded burnley fans why sean dice is such a great leader and and the, almost the 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 success that has come with that um, was was reinforced by by whatever he said in in that interview. Yeah, definitely. I'd say closing statement wise from me on that is Sean. If you ever listen to the podcast, which I highly doubt you do, but if you ever do, social media is not all bad. You get a massive thumbs up from everyone at Known and Ever for for that interview. And long may you be Burnley manager. So looking forward, um, something actually that I missed off the agenda. Should have chucked it in there, but I'm just going to put it out here anyway. We we love we we kind of like do do love Dice despite his um, flaws every now and then substitutions mainly main gripe but apart from that we we kind of on mass love him other clubs not so much at the minute Pearson what, what the hell's going on there at Leicester um, well as someone who's living in Leicester I can say that absolutely no one knows <laughs> no one <laughs> none of the journalists no one has any idea um, I was. Uh, I was speaking to some of the sports team earlier. Um, let, I'll, all I'll say is Pearson's um, a bit of a strange man um, when it comes to, to the media. And and I think watching his press conference earlier when he was being asked about about the, the situation yesterday where apparently he was sacked and then reinstated within a few hours, um, he... As the, the, the people on Sky Sports seem to think he came out of it quite well um, and that he was understandably defensive. But to me, he didn't look defensive. He just looked smug the entire way through it and he, he looked like he was smirking. And it was the same on Saturday, on Match of the Day, when he was talking about the incident with uh, MacArthur. Um, what <laughs> he, he was just saying how he could um, look after himself and, and, and as, it, as if... As if the people on match of the day were threatening him or something. It, it, it's it, it's been a bizarre weekend for Leicester City Football Club, and to be quite frank, I'd be uh, a bit worried if I was a fan um, of Leicester. To be honest, because it just seems all up in the air. It's his second public incident as well after he got into a spat with was it Liverpool fans something like that uh, back in it was yeah. December December I think that was when he got into a spat with the fans. So yeah, he's only just got back from a from a touchline ban. Yeah, having a nightmare. So that could go well in our favour. Let's have a look at our horrendous run of games coming up, where we face. I think it's eight, eight or nine of the top ten in the next couple of game, couple of weeks. I've got it in front of me now. So oh, got United, United on Wednesday. Then follow that with Chelsea, Swansea, Liverpool, Man City, Southampton, Tottenham, Arsenal before we play Everton away from home on the 18th of April, who are the first team in that run that are currently not in the top 10, that could well be by that stage. It's a pretty rubbish run of games, isn't it, James? Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty awful. Um, <clears throat> obviously, just I think emphasises how disappointing it was to, to not get a little bit more off Sunday, but um, you know, there's still plenty of signs to come um, that we do have a realistic chance against, and you know, you can never say never. You just got to look at what we did at um, the Etihad, and you know the great point we got there. And, and it's not beyond the realms of possibility we could get something. Um, you know, see this Tottenham. I know they've hit hit form probably at the right time, but 
Um, obviously, last time they came to the turf when they were, you know, a reasonable side, they got beat four two in the Premier League. So, um, you know, I think we, we shouldn't give up hope. Um, it's a tough run, but um, you know, anything can happen in football. Fantastic. There's four home games within that against Swansea, City, Arsenal, and Tottenham. So both North London clubs to visit. Adam, what, do you, what are you thinking? Is it, how many points would you be happy to take away from that run? I don't know, really. It's. Uh... I think it's a case of just getting what we can. Like it's not it's not a, a case of setting a points target and because uh, I don't think that does any good because you only you only disappoint yourself when we inevitably <laughs> don't don't reach that target. But I think if you if you look at that run and you, you think back to over Christmas and we had a not not a similar run because it was it was easier then, but we, we were similarly um, almost hopeless that we, that we we wouldn't. Get get much out of that run, and, and we did. We got um, five points out of five tough games, I think it was, um, and that that isn't that isn't survival form, but it's, it's at least a, a like a signifier that we can we can go to these big places. We can we can put up a fight, and um, I think it would be unwise just to accept defeat and and almost <laughs> invite the other teams to to come and thrash you. Um, so. Although it's tough, um, I think we've got to try and be positive somehow, um, and and almost be reassured that there is there is almost precedent for um, for this Burnley side to to really perform when they're not really expected to perform. Yeah, I'd say I say when you look at it as well, if you look at the table as it stands at the minute, I think probably thirty three, thirty two, thirty three points is going to be enough to to stay up this season, and that's talking we'd need another twelve points. Is it another twelve points? from the remaining fixtures left this year to stay up and we've got a favourable running last five games with Leicester. Leicester coming to visit the turf before going away to West Ham, Hull, Sork at home and finishing away at Villa who could well be down by that point if uh, they carry on their dismal run. Rob, any opinions on that running? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's daunting but I mean, I tend to agree with Adam it's pointless setting um, points targets and, and looking at sort of must-win games now because you never know what we'll come out with what we're going to need by the time we get to Everton um, but I'm going to stick my neck out and, and say that I, I think we might get something from United um, because I watched them I watched them against West Ham yesterday and I think they I think they're lacking in pace um, up front I think I think Van Persie and if Van Persie and Falcao start um, up front I think that that's only a good thing for us um, because I think because I think Shackle and um, Keane will have will, they'll be happy to have no one sort of running off the back of them um, and I think Rooney going into midfield is only a good thing for us uh, and I think if we get up if we play our high tempo game and get in the faces I don't see any reason why we can't come out with a pint snatch a, snatch a goal win plus you know we held them last time, so and that's that's when they were riding on the crest of uh, transfer deadline day when they spent a million pounds or something. <laughs> I just <laughs> I just want to say um, that <laughs> I think that's the first time anyone's ever said. I, th- I think if Falcao and Van Persie start, that's the best result for us. <laughs> when you've got that caliber of player, it's quite scary that you're just looking looking for the positives um, <laughs> and that sort of thing. <laughs> that's hey, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist, me, but. Um, uh, yeah, I just I didn't I didn't uh, Van Persie's obviously quality and, and Falcao's obviously got qualities he's just not in form. 
but um, I, I just think they, they, they really do lack pace. And I think if we can play that, the, if we can come out with the high tempo that we always seem to come out with, um, I don't see any reason why we can't get under their skin. And I, I don't like Man United's defence either. I don't think that's up to much. But. Yeah, they are. They are quite a slow starting teams. If we get off, get off the as we did against West Brom, we may stand a chance as long as we don't go 2-0 up and throw it away, away again. <laughs> so predictions for Wednesday then. Rob, you seem like you think that they may, may be able to get a result. What's your opinion? What do you reckon? Yeah, I think we'll snatch it. 1-0. James, what are you reckoning? 1-1 um, draw. Solid. Solid 1-1 one, one draw from James and Adam. What do you reckon? Uh, I think we'll win 2-1 and we'll, it'll be a nervy game because we'll, we'll go 2-0 up and look like we're going to surrender again, but not actually surrender. That's as positive I can be. <laughs> as I can be. Probably have a clo- few close what, calls on corners, if that's uh, the case. What do you reckon, Michael? Oh, I think uh, I think we might actually go there and snatch it 1-0. Um, some dirty goal. We might actually score from a corner ourselves once. Oh. <laughs> now <laughs> just you're just being ridiculous. Yeah, just put it out there. <laughs> so that's all we've got time for tonight. Uh, today on the non Air podcast, I just want to thank everyone who's Join, join me tonight so that's Adam, James, Rob and Dan from Baggy's Facts I also want to thank our sponsors Neville G and as well the, you guys the listeners if um, you do have any any feedback we, we absolutely love feedback on Nonny Never so if you, if you do please get in touch with us you can get get hold of us on Twitter at Nonny Never Net or you can email email us at podcast at net. and we'll be back again next week thank you and good night bye Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.